Live here in Washington, D.C., home of your favorite and best creators. You are now tuned in to people that you don't know that you should know. I'm your host, Ty Westbrook, featuring my co-host, Murray Ann. And let's get going with today's show. Yeah. And if you don't know, now you know. If you know, you know. I already parts now. Might not know we're siblings. Do up, do be do do up. We have to rehearse. We have to rehearse. Too much pressure. Yeah. I'll do the harmony, you do the melody. Ah, we got it. Here yeah, we, we go. got it. Hey, 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 people, you already know what it is. We're back on another episode of People That You Don't Know That You Should Know. And I got to introduce my lovely co-host, Marianne Lombardi. Hello, hello. It is your favorite chief creative economy officer back here, back here in the corner <laughs> by the refrigerator. Hey, it's... it's, it's, it's <laughs> in our it's, office hey, as we're recording cool. a live episode of People That You Don't Know That You Should Know. It's cool, it's cool. But look... Guess who we have with us today? Guess what? We've got Amy here. And my first question for Amy, really the most important question that I can ask is, uh, I want to know more about your fanny pack obsession. Wow. Um, I mean, you know. This is what the people want to know. Yeah. I was born in the 80s. And so therefore I grew up in the 90s. And I feel like my obsession with neon and fanny packs and scrunchies and unicorns and Lisa Frank stickers Mm -hmm. has carried over into my life branding. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Big fan. Big fan. So, you know. Currently on my fanny, I have a pack. Wow. Yeah, I do. It's pretty glorious, right? I have to say it's a really great gift to can give you, to people. Can you describe it for our listeners? Of it what? is a black fanny pack with beautiful pink Washington women in jazz writing yes. on it. And uh, it is a collector's item, my friend told me this weekend. She's like, man, this is... This is a collector's item. I really got to get one of those. That's good it's stuff. a collector's item, limited release. Washington Women in Jazz fanny pack. So uh, the time is now. And these went, only went out for our donation campaign this week. So that campaign is over. But then if you'd like to purchase one, you have to come to the Washington Women in Jazz Festival. All right, for sure. So I'm definitely probably going to give this fanny pack to my lady. Oh, now. Why? Why aren't you going to wear a fanny pack tie? Well, why unisex. would you not wear one? Well, any they're gender, unisex. Any anybody can wear it. This is this is a fanny equal for the opportunity. People. Yeah, the color. I would just maybe get like a another color, you know, like a green, blue. You can you can add your own puffy paints to it. Word. That's what Ooh, I, I would like recommend. Wear puffy paints. Like maybe put your name on it. Yeah. You know, but I don't. Uh, want, you don't want other people stealing your fanny pack. No, no, no. I don't want that. Have you seen the way people wear them, like crossbody fanny pack? I've, I have never. I've saw. <gasps> crossbody fanny pack. Yeah. Wow. You gotta Google it. Yeah. That you can wear them like over, you know, like a seatbelt. Yeah. Oh, that sounds cool. It's yeah. very hip. I, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, seeing as I'm not hip, I don't think I will try that. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think it you sounds can do it. awesome. You can pull it off. You can pull really? it off. Yeah. It's I great. appreciate great your for faith everybody. In me. Yeah. Yeah. We're bringing it in. I'm, oh, I'm here for fanny pack fashion tips. Love it. Yeah. yeah. No, for sure. So outside from the over the shoulder, the waist. I think so. I mean, I think I've seen a lot more men wearing it like a like a seatbelt kind of yeah, yeah, you know yeah. over the shoulder thing. For sure. It's kind of like a Han Solo vibe. For sure. Yeah. So when you were, um, uh, uh, you know, developing this fanny pack obsession of yours back mm-hmm. in the 80s, were you uh, also exploring your musical interests? I think, I think hand in hand, my love for sparkly things goes with my love for music. I, uh, I took group piano lessons when I was a kid. And that was like the perfect environment for me. A lot of people are like, when should I start my kid with piano lessons? And I'm like, it depends on you. You know your kid. But like for me, my mother knew that 
I wouldn't do anything unless I could show off. So <laughs> she was like, I'm going to put her in this group piano class. And my brother had already, you know, he's older and he'd already been working in, you know, at, at playing the piano. And uh, she put me in there and I'm super competitive. And I'm also very driven by um, peer, peer affection, if you will. Like, I like to help people. I like it when people help me. I like to learn from my peers. So we would have, like, uh, round-the-world competitions on sight-reading music and stuff, and I would win swag. So I would win, like, glittery coffee mugs that had, like, glittery roses and piano keys on them and really cool Lisa Frank stickers. So you're, like, sparkle-motivated. Yeah, I'm very sparkle-motivated. And then my, my little practice book... I got stickers every day. You practice, you get a sticker that goes in your in your book. So like, what, I'm were trying you 16 to when you did this? <laughs> 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 Let's say yeah. Let's yeah, go with yeah. At Duke Ellington School of the Arts, we had stickers. Yeah, that would have been great. I I, I don't think my Korean piano teacher at Duke Ellington School of the Arts, oh, Dr. Well. Mim, would really go for the sparkle stickers. I don't know. Well, I'll have to ask her. She's still working there, so maybe she would switch over now to sparkle stickers and see if that that increases the motivation for the students I but think I, that's something worth looking into yeah i i think they're all going for scholarship money but i it could be sparkle stickers yeah. is the is the end goal <laughs> so uh, tell us a little bit more about your uh your musical journey so if it started did it so it started with piano Sure, yeah. Well, uh, my mother is a musician. My mother's a clarinet player. Mm-hmm. And um, my brother was taking music lessons, and I come from a very singing, dancing family, extended family. Um, we have, like, family reunion talent shows. So this year, my brother and I did a routine where I played accordion, and he did stand-up. Um, and then my my cousin, my little baby cousin, he did... Uh, the second French horn part to uh, the Star Spangled Banner wow. by himself. So That's awesome. it was like great harmonies, just super, super cool. So, you know, we're a very musical family, lots of singing, lots of dancing. And um, I would put on shows. I think like a lot of people who are performers now, you force your family to be your first audience. And so I make everybody sit down and then I like, put on a show. I remember being like three years old, like, okay. Here it is. You may have heard of Beauty and the Beast, but have you ever seen me do it by myself? <laughs> Here it goes. And um, just get the good parts, you know, and just be the teapot and stuff. Um, so that was kind of the beginning of that. And that was highly encouraged and entertained by my family, who still highly encourage and entertain me uh, to this day and uh, support me in all my endeavors. And I'm like the luckiest family member in the world. Um, because it's just been constant support and of course they were like oh are you going to be broke you should work on that and so you know we had those concerns yeah but they were never like oh you shouldn't do that you know they were like you know it's going to be really hard and I was like yeah I don't think we talk enough about how important those extended networks are for us right like whether that it's our family or whether it's the communities that we build and and how important it is to have that kind of support especially when you're when you're young like that and and it's yeah. it's not about you having to become a musician a professional musician even though that may have been a path that you chose mm-hmm. but it is about supporting that creative um, uh, output that experience that sort of creativity definitely and I think um, you know supporting risk-taking is something that Uh, I've had the privilege of having so many people around me that have just been like, yeah, go for it, you know, from little stuff like, okay, should I order twice as many T-shirts for Washington Women in Jazz as I did last year? And then my husband is like, yes, just 
order the damn t-shirts. Like you, if you buy them, they will sell, you know, um, from some like small stuff like that to, um, really big stuff. Like, uh, you know, my family, uh, supporting me and I lived with my mother way after I finished college and, um, my husband and I were living in her basement and just really trying to get established as, as musicians and trying to save some money and, um, you know, cook food for each other and, and hang out and just having, having that relationship is absolutely priceless because I know so many people who've struggled, uh, to get their footing, um, as artists who are extremely talented and extremely driven and extremely capable, but they don't have that, that support network from the people who are around them every day. Um, and for me, that, that's been huge to my, my development. Well, and, and, uh, it seems as if that you've also taken that into creating a network of support for other musicians as well, right? Can you tell me a little bit about the work that you're you're doing to help support other artists? Sure, yeah. Um, so Washington Women in Jazz Festival has been my my baby, and now we're uh, now it's a fully formed child at the age of nine, and um, <laughs> I am so just so amazed about all the things that have come together to make that into this magical kismet event. Um, and by creating this space for, uh, for women musicians and um, taking us out of the general jazz community and sequestering and building up support for each other um, has made us really strong to enter back into the jazz community for the other 11 months of the year. And to have this one month where we can just go and just talk about all of the things that we have to deal with being women in the jazz community and we can play on stage with lots of other badass women just hypes me up so much. It gets me through the whole rest of the year. And um, I just it's something that I look forward to every year and I, I just, you know, bend over backwards to make it happen and just don't sleep and I don't take care of myself. But I do... And I'm just so genuinely excited that it doesn't feel like work to me. It feels like a um, a serious evangelical passion that I have for playing music with women and advocating for women and uh, building that community of people to support me and um, seeing not only the musicians but seeing the community come out, uh, seeing people who haven't gone to jazz shows before who come because they want to support women. Uh, doing things that women don't typically, you don't typically see women doing. Um, and seeing those, those people come to jazz shows that I have through the rest of the year or, you know, buy albums from uh, women who are on the festival and um, just channeling that into the broader DC jazz community has been really wonderful for me. All right. No, no that's, that's beautiful, Amy. Um, that definitely sounds like, to me, like the overall reason why you do what you do, um, you know, especially for the support of women. And like you said, uh, share with me, well, share with us a little bit about um, your experiences as far as performance-wise. Uh, any, you know, um, certain scenery in, uh, in the D.C. area that you, like, any venues particularly, like, you know, you're going to have, like, a kick-ass performance at this venue. Yeah. Um, so this year, upcoming, we've got uh, 
one of my favorite people to work with ever is Shauna Tucker. And so we've been playing duo and she's a wonderful cellist and a singer songwriter. And she plays music that she calls chamber soul, which I think is perfect because people see a black woman playing cello and they're like, oh, is this going to be a classical concert? Do I need to uh-huh. wear a ball gown and just clap in between movements? And no, and she comes up there and is super engaging. And we play everything from our own original music that we've arranged for duo to um, like 80s pop songs that we've kind of torn apart and then put back together as jazz musicians. And um, she's just a wonderful singer, wonderful cellist and super performer. And we've spent a lot of time touring together. And so we have a big show the 23rd of March, which will be at the Penn Arts Building, which is in DuPont Circle. So that is our gala show for the festival. Um, And then uh, I have, you know, obviously I have my favorite things during the festival. It's hard to name your favorite children. Uh, I have 23 events this year, but... Um, oh, that's great. Yeah. So they're all listed online, WashingtonWomenInJazz.com. I have all this information. Um, but that, that event with Shauna is kind of uh, at the beginning of the festival and it's a bit of a kickoff. And I will have also that same weekend is the Young Artist Showcase, which where we bring all the college women from around the country to come and perform with us. And that has been hugely empowering for me and just to watch over the years how people have developed and how their careers have developed. And it's given me uh, an idea for what the future is for women jazz musicians, um, not only in this area, but, but across the country. So that's going to be on the, during the day on the 23rd. So all of those young artists will be at the gala hanging out. So I'm just really excited to perform for them and, and have them see a bit of what I, you know, what I do and what Shauna does. And um, the day before that, Shauna and I and uh, our two other people are giving a, a business workshop. So it's kind of a full package thing uh, that weekend with the young artists focused on creating that community and creating those mentorship type connections so that we can share as much information about, uh, you know, the business side and the personal side of, of being a, a jazz musician. Yeah, it's interesting to me this... Um the idea of, of the an audience's expectations, right? They, as you say, they, they see this African-American woman on stage with a cello and their expectation is to hear X, Y, and Z. But yeah. um, I'm wondering what you've discovered in this process about what audiences expect from women who play music. Because I'm... I'm I'm interested in, as we go on, we're working with this DC Music Census thing and a bunch of other projects as we're meeting more musicians, I'm finding when I talk to people, when they think about who are, who the musicians that come to mind, so many of them are men. And, and I, I don't necessarily think that uh, it's because there's no women in this space, but, but I'm really interested in our own expectations around who we think should be playing and who we are comfortable watching doing what, you know, and it, it must be interesting. You're talking about people who come who just want to support women to see this big huge group of women performing together why is that unique what is why is that special i'm finding myself having mixed mixed emotions about that right like in one sense i'm i'm thrilled that that's so awesome and the other part of me i'm going gosh i wish I, i wish that wasn't so special yeah definitely i i totally understand that and that goes back to what i was talking about of of whether or not we should sequester ourselves into a into a group and, and be a separate group as women jazz musicians. No, but I love that you're doing that yeah. because I think you need to do that. Oh, and yeah, I think, I it's, think so, so it's so amazing yeah. that you are doing that. Yeah. So So but I, I, I feel like the 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 stereotypes and the the concepts of uh, women as musicians are um, you know, you get the singer, you get the piano player, you get polite music, you don't get uh, you know, you get a lot of classical 
classical women musicians um, that are playing men's music. <laughs> and uh, you, don't, you don't get composers and improvisers and uh, screaming microphones. And like, so when you see those types of things, to me, there's always such an appeal because it's flipping the whole dynamic, the power dynamic of how we expect women to behave in society on its head. So um, we're also partnering this year with a brand new organization called the Boulanger Initiative, which is a women's composers organization. So their launch festival is, uh, is this weekend, uh, starting on International Women's Day on the 8th. And they have a, a weekend full of events, uh, panels, talking about women composers. And um, it's, there's so many parallel issues and matching issues that uh, fit with what my whole goal is and what the other women um, in, who have been a part of Washington Women in Jazz have told me and talked to me about, which is um, we don't expect women to have... Um, the audacity to write their own music and the audacity to take the risk and be improvisers. You know, we expect women to, to sit in a certain role that we've set up for them. So musically, a lot of times that, you know, historically has been European women playing salon concerts to get husbands or entertain each other at night uh, or, you know, or singing. Um, these, those types of, of concepts of how we think about women musicians or like it's going to be a singer-songwriter with a guitar, or these things that are that we see and we've accepted. Um, that even you know you think about like Janis Joplin, that was a revolutionary act because she got up and wasn't going to sing all cute, you yeah. know. Like, or you think about Aretha Franklin, like taking gospel music and putting it into an R&B space. That's a revolutionary act. All these women who are incredibly powerful leaders and uh, band leaders. That's what I want to see more of. I want to see, uh, I want to see people who are in the rhythm section who are women. You know, a lot of times you'll see a women in jazz event and it's one woman singing up front and then her backing band is all male. So that's cool. I, I, you know, let's, more the merrier. I'll take one out of four any day. Um, but uh, that's not the whole, the whole package. Um, we need to start thinking about how we can support women getting on tours. That's a big problem uh, in the music industry because they don't want to buy you a separate hotel room. And they say, I don't, you know, we get, we have four dudes in the band and that is one hotel room with two double beds. So we're not going to get you another hotel room. I've heard that, you know, a lot, I've been living in LA the last five years and a lot of the pickup uh, groups that come through there, they're, they're picking up musicians for the band. So, uh, you know, pop tours and things like that and uh, smaller even smaller independent tours it's, it's more prevalent um, you know but I've heard that all the way down the spectrum from like uh, when I was a kid and I went to Duke Ellington we, we had a master class with the Lincoln Center Jazz Orchestra and I said to Wynton Marcellus why are there no women in your band because I was, I was that kid I was a feminist killjoy at age 16. No problem. Um, why are there no with sparkles. Yeah, with sparkles. <laughs> Very sparkly about the whole thing. Uh, why are there no women in your band? And he said, oh, well, they're too distracting. Wow. And I was like... Uh, but, uh, to whom? Yeah, to his entire band. Yeah, and then he laughed, and then the band laughed, and then everyone in my band laughed except for me, and I was like, cool, I'm the only woman in this conversation, and everyone thinks that's funny. So that's kind of like the attitude, and I want to say that there's been an attitude shift, but there hasn't been. I think we keep progressing towards um, making that a part of the conversation, but there's still so many people who wouldn't blink twice just seeing all-male band, and 
not even thinking that's you know thinking exactly what you're talking about that that's what what's normal and that's what uh should be uplifted when in fact we have all these women who are doing groundbreaking work in the industry and and uh the question that Terry Lynn Carrington asked in on Facebook and I still love what does jazz look like without the patriarchy what does it look like because there's been women making this music since the first day people started improvising like women have been making music as long as they've been alive <laughs> and uh since people began so what does the music look like if we remove the systemic patriarchy that is affecting what types of music women are supposed to make when you think about what's next for uh, this festival or you see how it um, grows, you know, because uh, over time, over the next two to five years, what are you hoping to, to see as an outcome from it? Yeah, a lot of the things that I set out originally uh, have, have been accomplished, and that made me realize that my goals were not as big as I thought they were. Hmm. Um, when I started, the DC Jazz Festival had 73 acts that year, and only nine of them had women on them, and there were no instrumentalists. And that was in 2011. So now you look at the DC Jazz Festival, there's a lot more women happening on the scene. Sonny Sumpner is, you know, she's the executive director. And um, I, I think you see a lot more representation in the DC Jazz Festival. Now, if you go and look at a lot of the other jazz festivals around the country, that's it's only just now starting to happen in the last year or two. Um, so a lot, of the, a lot of the things that I've been waiting for for the last nine years of, while developing this festival um, have started to come to fruition in the last two years because of the Me Too movement, because of all of the uh, smaller scandals within the jazz community. So like Berkeley had a big uh, scandal about sexual harassment uh, with their professors and in their environment. And now they started the uh, Jazz and Gender Justice uh, Institute with Terry Lynn Carrington, my favoriteest drummer ever, um, and Angela Davis. And so, you know, that, that's been huge for me to look at what they're doing. Uh, we Have a Voice Collective is a really great group of uh, women and non-binary people in New York who have started uh, a code of conduct that they are advocating to get attached to all the contracts, um, clarifying that just because you're off the bandstand doesn't mean it's not still a workplace mm -hmm. and doesn't mean you can sexually harass people off the bandstand. And then when you get on the bandstand, oh, I guess I won't do that. Or, you know, all these other sort of uh, smaller issues. Giving language to those types of things has been really, um, really important for me to see that happen. Um, the PRS Foundation has started Key Change Initiative in Europe, which is um, pushing towards more gender equity in performance spaces and, uh, you know, I partnered with two years ago, no, geez, four years ago, with uh, the Swedish Women in Jazz. And in Sweden, they have, if you want federal funding for your, uh, for your festival or for your music event, you have to have gender parity, which is like mind-blowing to anyone you talk to in the U.S. Um, so one of the few organizations that I've seen that sign on to that, um, that idea of moving towards 50% women on the bandstand is uh, Winter Jazz Fest, and they've really done a lot of great work advocating for gender. So for me, doing this Washington Women in Jazz Fest is a, is a chance to bring people together and energize and uh, remind people of uh, why this is important and um, remind people that we need to be continuing this work throughout the entire year, not just for the month of March when it's cute and when it's on brand, 
that this is something that um, you know we need to be having having these types of conversations with everyone and um, including more and more people into that fold. So, yeah, I think one of the best things I've seen come out of, of, of this Washington Women in Jazz Festival is that there's been uh, a lot of other women in jazz events that have popped up from people who've been a part of Washington Women in Jazz. So, um, you know, some something like I'm really proud of is, is someone who was on the Young Artist Showcase uh, Emily Jordan, she's now doing a, a, a festival in Cincinnati this year that's called We Create Jazz, and it's inclusive of women and non-binary people and basically a lot of outcasts of the jazz community um, having that festival. So, you know, that's something that I like to... I just makes me happier than anything is that people are taking it to themselves to create these types of events and these types of spaces. How can uh, men help support... Yeah, I think men continue to support the entire festival. My husband, Matt Devendorf, is amazing and uh, is my assistant director and continues to um, to help me put all of this together. And I think that men are uh, a huge part of the solution and, in fact, a larger part of the solution um, because women, well, at least the women who are part of my festival, know their concerns and know what needs to be addressed. And um, when I... I have uh, jam sessions at the festival, and men come and they say, oh, man, I've never seen that trombone player before. Let me get her number. Or, oh, let me, I've never seen that bass player before. Just getting this, uh, this idea of uh, uh, community happening is so important for women to feel like they're part of that community. So um, unironically, when I say I've made a separate event for women in jazz and we only have women on the bandstand and it's all women, girl power, yay, Shira, all of that is uh, to say that we are here and we are in this space, but when we go back to the 11, other 11 months of the year, that we have to be a part of your community. We have to be, your community has to be our community. We have to all be working together. And um, men need to hire women for things. Men need to mentor women for things. Um, Davey Arrow, who's one of my favorite people ever and uh, amazing educator, and he's someone that has been my mentor for life, and he never um, treated me with... I never felt any sort of uh, feeling that I was, wasn't as good um, or that I... Or sometimes people say, oh, you need to try so much harder. I never felt that feeling from him. He just accepted me for what I was, where I was, at every moment. And um, to me, that's that's the ultimate in in uh, in guidance that men can offer uh, mentorship and partnership and advocacy and hiring people and making sure that they're being paid more. And um, all of these things are happening, and they need to continue to happen. And thinking about who in your life uh, can you advocate for. A lot of times, uh, women in the music industry are not allowed to be uh, uh, risk-taking and thinking about in the future they'll be amazing or in, you know, maybe in two or three years this will be an incredible artist. But men are given that space. So to give women the chance to fail, to give women the chance to have, uh, have residencies, to have concerts to have all all of that stuff i think is is an integral part of being a good community member regardless of your your gender 
And uh, just to add on to that, I think it's also great when we hold each other accountable, right? Mm-hmm. You know, in, in polite and loving ways, but it was, <laughs> but to still at the same point say, oh, you know that list that we just passed around for people who we could, you know, bring in to, you know, play this set or to do this thing or to hire for that thing? There weren't any women on it. Did you think about maybe we should add you know, some options there. Yeah, so. definitely. I mean, I had, but I love it because I love it when people hold me accountable. Like when yeah. they make me think about something that I hadn't thought before, I was like, huh, look at that. That did not occur to me. Rock and roll. Let's like take, take a second look at that. And I think we should all be brave enough to hold each other accountable again in a loving, supportive way. But if we never mm-hmm. have hard conversations about things like that, whether it's, you know, in the diversity inclusion space, if we're not talking about that on an everyday regular basis and asking each other, you know, some questions about it, like we're never, ever going to move forward. So I think that loving accountability is a, is a super important thing for us to be. That's part of our responsibility to our peers, to our friends, to the people that we care about. Definitely. And we're each coming from our own, our own space, you know, and to crack that space open and, and be empathic. (laughs) <laughs> is is something that you know we're all hopefully moving moving in that direction and as artists i think we lead the way for empathy for the the broader community um and for us to get people together and have uh have events and have music there and encourage people to be a part of that to me that that that's the path of empathy and of understanding and of um highlighting these these unique uh, people in our lives and I think DC is just such a, a magical community you know I, I came back here after five years of living in LA because I couldn't stay away and I kept flying here every month to work and I was like wait why mm-hmm. why am I living in LA when it's clear that my community and my passion and my heart is here and I you know I still have great projects in LA I still have bands I'm working with in LA but, you know, now I'm bringing those resources into D.C. You know, I'm bringing people from D.C. to come play at the Washington Women in Jazz Festival. And now I have friends from D.C. who are working in L.A. And to be able to make those kind of connections, I think, is, is what artists are for. This is why we're, you know, this is why we're creating. This is why we're having, having these types of, of events and uh, emotional, empathic responses from the community. This is the, this is the place for that. Uh, you know, it, some people would argue that it could take place at a football game, but football is competition, and we're the opposite of competition. If you're competing with people on the bandstand, it sounds like garbage. So everyone has to collaborate. Everyone has to make everyone else sound good. And if that's the attitude that we have going forward, then in my vision, in my worldview, I think everybody would be better off. Well, I think that's wonderful. I think the, your work, the work that you're doing is really important, and we're really thrilled that you're doing it. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Well, thank you for spending <laughs> a little time with us today, and, and uh, can you let people know one more time how they can find out more about uh, Women in Jazz Fest? Sure. Uh, the festival starts March the 10th through the 31st. All of the events are at WashingtonWomenInJazz.com. Uh, there's free events, ticketed events. Uh, tickets are available on the website, and will be all over the District of Columbia and also in PG County. And also, how can we follow you on social media, Amy? Yes, follow me at Amy K. Bormitt. I'm on all the things. And um, the festival is at WW Jazz Fest, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. And what else? Oh, and I just started a record label. I didn't even talk about that. I have a record label now called Strange Woman Records. So we have our record label launch concert in the middle of the festival because that's how I roll. 
So that'll be. You needed something else to do. I needed something. I was like, you, you know what? Time. You know you what? You were sleeping just, and you wanted to like not yeah, be sleeping. Yeah, I was like, let me just set my alarm a little bit earlier. Yeah and do this too so um well the truth is i have artists coming from la who are on my record label and i wanted to take advantage of the fact that they would be here for the washington <laughs> jazz festival so it worked out perfect so uh yeah my my husband matt devendorf dr matt devendorf wonderful guitarist uh he just put out his debut album on march the first and i put out an album on february 1st uh, with anna barrero who's a fabulous brazilian drummer who lives in la so we're going to be celebrating the launch of our new record label where I have four records out this year and the first two are out so we'll be partying on March the 19th at Andi Music in Baltimore and if you want to follow that on social media we're at Strange Woman Records um, strangewomanrecords.com is our record label website so lots of stuff going on love it love it love it love it and there you have it closing out another episode of people that you don't know that you should know without good friend Amy shout out to all the women not just in jazz, but <laughs> we'll all women all. in general. I'll take them all. All right. Thanks, thanks again, Amy. Thank you. Thanks Thank guys you. for having me. What's up, everybody? This is Amy K. Bormitt. I'm a pianist, vocalist, composer, and the director of the Washington Women in Jazz Festival. I want to tell you a little bit about somebody you may not know, but you should know. And that is an organization called Capital Bop, capitalbop.com. They have a full listing of all the jazz events happening in D.C., and uh, concerts, they put on their own uh, events, concerts, uh, residencies for different jazz musicians. They have profiles and articles and journalism based around music in the District of Columbia. So you can find them online, capitalbop.com, or on Instagram, at capitalbop. The stars is aligning for me, uh, I put the pen to the paper, just so the people could see. My life on the line, my Holland done finally bling. They gave us a brand new religion, but this is the strangest thing. So, who here gonna rap for the spirit? And who here gonna speak for the weak? And who here gonna pray on these hoes? Who here gonna watch what they eat? Uh, who here gonna have lucid dreams? Uh, wake up and turn on the visions. Uh, who here gonna pray to a God? Uh, that they feel like he never listens. I pray that you open your mind. Uh, just to connect with your heart. Yeah, I pray that you live with your soul. Uh, let this music be a spark for therapy. We want to thank you all for tuning in to this episode of People That You Don't Know That You Should Know. If you like our show and want to learn more, check out tool2creates.com. And oh yeah, please subscribe on the Apple Podcast. You guys be sure to tune in again next week for another episode of People That You Don't Know That You Should Know. I'm Tyler Westbrook, signing out.